0: welcome everyone to a monday match analysis live chat on this wednesday week one wimbledon 2021 hello everyone my name is gil gross uh, home this channel is home To the most in-depth ATP analysis on the internet, Uh, man, uh, I just finished watching Andy Murray and Oscar Atta. Of course, spoilers coming here. Get off if you don't want spoilers. What a match that was. What a match that was. It is still one of the ultimate treats in all of tennis to watch Andy Murray do battle on center court at Wimbledon. It doesn't matter what point in his career he is at. It remains a spectacle to watch Andy Murray, the warrior that he is, uh, go to battle on that court, and he pulls a five-set victory over Oscar Ata after going down two sets to one. Murray comes all the way back. Here's what I'm what I'm going to do here. Um, I have a lot of topics to cover. There are a lot of things I want to talk about. Takeaways uh, from the first three days of Wimbledon with a focus on the things that happened today. I want to revisit the draw quarter by quarter. I'm going to hit on Djokovic. I'm going to hit on Isner. I'm going to hit on Alcaraz, Sabalenka, Fritz, Korda, TFO. Uh, But of course I do want to, and Kyrgios, if I didn't mention him, uh, he beats Hugo Humbert today as well. Uh, but I do want to start with Andy Murray. It's fresh in my mind. It was uh, a spectacle with uh, another night session at Wimbledon, which we've had every night. Luckily, the curfew uh, was not did not get in the way of this match's conclusion. Um, but yeah, let's start with Andy Murray and Oscar Atta. First of all... It's uh it reminded me of a couple of matches that we've seen from Andy Murray post-hip, post-hip resurfacing. Marius Chopel in Washington, D.C., when you know Andy physically was in absolute shambles and comes through somehow late in the third set. And then at the US Open this year against Nishioka, another five-setter where it's not vintage Andy Murray. He's playing an opponent that he should be able to overcome or in the past he would have been able to overcome with a lot more ease. But it's his fighting spirit that kind of brings him through and he has what he needs in the biggest moments. So then this match kind of goes into that category. It's the second round. Oscar Otto, who who is good and I think will rise up in the rankings and, and has a lot of game and does a lot of things. He was up two sets to love against Alexander Zverev at Roland Garros just a couple of weeks ago but still obviously Andy Murray in his prime does not want to go 5 sets that's not really in the cards for this kind of matchup but he does and you could just see the way he battles and the you know his his warrior spirit is uh has never changed. It doesn't matter how fast he's moving. It doesn't matter if he's returning like he used to or hitting his backhand like he used to. That will remain the same for Andy Murray. With that being said, I thought this was the highest quality match of the three matches I just mentioned. I thought his movement looked great. I really thought he was moving at a pretty high level. His first serve was really strong throughout the match, and I think that was a big-time positive. He won um, 74% of his first serve points, served at 65%. I felt like he had that all match long, especially towards the end, his wide serve on the deuce side. It felt like it never missed, it was always there for him. So I thought really good movement, really good first serving. And ultimately, what changed after the third set and when they went in to close the roof and they took that 20 minute break, had a warm up. Um, Murray his baseline aggression just got way better. Against Oscarata, you know, he can do things to you. He can. So you have to be proactive. And I don't know if it was the conditions changing and getting quicker indoors, which does happen. I don't know if it was the mindset changing, or I don't know if it was just, you know, Murray gaining his confidence after the kind of the reset. But he was just getting through the court way better, capitalizing on short balls way better, uh, just doing much more with his forehand. And, you know, if you put Oscar Ata on defense, you're going to get the reward for doing that. So after the break, uh, Murray started hitting through the court way more confidently. The reason the match got so complicated, though, was uh, for two reasons. After Murray won the first set, um and then was up 3-1 in the second set. First of all, his second serve was getting abused. And this is an area where I'm sure I'll I'll talk about this more uh, at more length at some point when it comes to Andy Murray, but he's not really adapting his game. He's playing the same way. And one area where that is apparent is how he's hitting his second serve. The second serve has always been a weakness throughout Andy Murray's career, but he used to be able to kind of recover and play a little bit of defense off the first ball and claw back into rallies, even if his opponent was hitting aggressive second serve returns. Well, now in this post-prime version of Andy Murray, it's going to be very hard for him to come back from behind consistently if his second serve is getting punished and abused like it was against Oscarata here. So... Andy Murray has zero double faults all match, not a single double fault, none yet. His second serve is getting abused and he's winning 40% of points on his second serve. And to me, that's like that screams, uh, that screams opportunity for strategic adjustment. If you're Andy Murray, you have to hit your second serve, bigger double fault a couple times. It's worth it. The math is going to be in your favor if you give up a couple of points, double faulting, but maybe you bring up that second, that, that win percentage up to 50% where it, where it belongs. But he, he, he doesn't do that right now. He hits his second serve between, you know, around the 85 mile per hour mark. I guess I can, I can figure out the, uh, the average here of his second serve speed for the match. Let's see. Um, Average serve speed 90. Okay. 90 miles per hour. So, compare it to Ota and it's 97 miles per hour. It's a massive difference just as an example, but but Ota did double fault uh, nine times in this match. So I think Murray should probably be in between. But anyway, not going for his second serve enough, getting abused off of that ball, that was the big problem for him all match long really. And I just think it's a place where a good example of where Andy Murray is just choosing to play the same way post-prime, where there's really room to to make a change here and up the aggression. Understand, look, you don't move like you used to. You're not going to defend like you used to. You don't have that consistency. So how are we going to change the way you play? One opportunity is to just go for more on that second serve. Second thing is the bread and butter just kind of failing him. Uh, regulation backhand errors in the fourth set. For example, when Ota got the break of serve, uh, you know, dumping two backhands into the net um, to fall Love 40 at three all in the third set. And then at 5-4, you look at, okay, time to dig in and try to break serve. Well, uh, poor block return at 15-all, really short in the court, and Ota makes Murray pay. 30-15, 30-15, returnable serve on the Murray forehand. Again, doesn't make a good return. These are the kinds of things. And then 40-15, another uh, serve plus one from Ota. And Murray labors to his forehand side, misses the pass down the line. Just a little snapshot uh, snapshot there in the third set of Murray, the backhand, the return of serve, the things that, that should be great, the things that should be in his favor, not uh, just, just letting him down a little bit. But then he flips a switch. He has it. And in the fourth set, good level. In, a, in the fifth set, brilliant level. A lot of vintage stuff from, from Andy Murray. A ton of it. And I think we're just seeing so much of the same stuff from Murray and Federer. And I'm going to end on this before I move on. I'm seeing so much of the same stuff with these guys that it's a matter of consistency. It's a matter of maintaining that 100% level without the dips and it is exactly what made both Murray and Fetter one of the things that makes them so great especially Murray who I think was kind of known for that never going away never giving gifts easy mistakes super low on forced error counts getting returns in play uh, all the time I mean the the consistency right now isn't there Uh, And you know Shapovalov in the next round, it is going to be a very very tough test for Andy, and I favor Shapo in that contest. I do think that there are some things that that Andy can uh, can make Shapo uncomfortable with. I don't think Shapovalov was handling the low backhand well at all in his uh, in his opening round match, and he had a bit of trouble in uh, in that first match. Did Dennis Shapovalov? He played Philip Kohlschreiber. It went five sets. Thought Cole Schreiber uh, used his backhand slice down the line pretty well, and Murray's going to do that same thing. Uh, so Shapovalov needs to get comfortable at handling the low ball, handling the mid court ball. That's the strategy. That Andy Murray uh, used in his in his first round match against Nicholas Basilashvili. wasn't a good play w- wasn't a play really in this match against Ota, but I expect Murray to kind of go back to that against Chapo. I-, I do make Chapo the favorite. Let's see how he physical uh, how he physically recovers. He needs to return better. He needs to capitalize on the short balls like he did in the latter two sets. Um, against Ota here. But now it's two matches in a row. It's interesting. The roof closes, and that's when Murray actually changes the the direction of the match and plays his best tennis. Thank you for joining me, everyone. Again, this is the Monday Match Analysis live chat on this Wednesday. a couple of topics we're going to hit here. Day one topics. I'm going to hit Isner. I'm going to hit Djokovic and Alcaraz and Sabalenka and Fritz and Korda and Tiafoe. Um, I will, I guess, address the the live chat a little bit. I'm not comparing, comparing Murray's firepower to Fed's lack thereof. I'm comparing the ability to maintain level and not dip. I'm saying Murray. No, I didn't say that, that at all. Um, for Eddie in the chat. It's not not the point I was making, you mis, misunderstanding me there. I'm saying that consistency-wise, uh, one of the great features of these top players is that they do not experience the dips in level for extended periods of time. And now two matches in a row, we see Federer rolling. We see Murray rolling against Basile Um, Federer up, comfortable against Manorino. And you see the dip in the level. And and that's what I'm what I'm referring to. All right, I want to talk about Nick Kyrios here. Uh, comes back his first match since February twelfth. You guys, since February twelfth, Nick Kyrios had not played a match. Unbelievable. So I make him an underdog against Hugo Humbert. I figure we might not see the best version of Nick Kyrios, and Umbear hes a guy. I think he's a top ten contender in the field or I thought that and in my friend in my Wimbledon power rankings I made him number eight and I didn't get a lot of blowback for that I didn't find a lot of people disagreed with that I found some people thought I should have Hugo Umbera perhaps higher because of his run in Halle but I didn't see a lot of people having him lower so here comes Nick Kyrgios no matches since Australian Open a loss to Dominic Team, an epic five setter he looked great in Australia Nick if you remember Uh, but no matches since then Didn't feel like leaving home. Didn't feel like leaving Australia. uh, And, you know, is calling himself at this point a part-time tennis player. Well, pretty good for a part-time tennis player uh, because he gets through Hugo Umberro. a match that was completed over two days. uh, Wins the first set 6-4. Loses the second 4-6. Wins the third, uh, or excuse me, loses the third 6-3. And then in the fourth set, absolutely blitzes Hugo. Wins it 6-1. And then ultimately wins 9-7. In the fifth set, how could you not uh, call this dude talented? I mean, I know there's opinions about Nick Kyrios, and if you hate his guts, I can't blame you for that. I get that. I totally get if you can't stand Nick Kyrios. It makes perfect sense. But if you don't acknowledge the fact that he's talented, I think you have the uh, you're letting the bias cloud you from from what this is. I don't know who on tour could have come back from not playing since February and could have beaten Hugo Umber at Wimbledon in conditions that suit him really, really well. I don't know who could have done that. It was a really great performance by Kyrgios. So at the end of the match, I'll point out, I'm not going to get into the tactics too heavily, but at the end of the match, I thought Nick handled his his nerves a little bit better than Hugo was able to, and I thought Nick did something clever to get him the break at Uh, at 7-all, which is that he actually put some extra air and took some pace off of his forehand. And I've seen him do this before and asked Hugo to create in the tense moments. And that is not Nick's MO. That is not how Nick normally plays. Normally, Nick is take the racket out of your hand, bold aggression, you know, super daring shot selection. And that's not what he did at 7-all in the return game. He actually dialed it back and played with some safety, and I think to to save that, to keep that style of play in the back pocket until there's a tense moment in a return game, and then to suddenly whip out that style when the opponent hasn't seen it really before, and I've seen Nick do this in the past, I think that's a really jarring tactic for Nick Kyrgios' opponents, when suddenly He's asking you to do to do something. He's asking... He's not giving you the pace anymore. And I think Umber was really thrown off at that 7-all game. And he was forced to generate his own offense off of, you know, very kind of responsible, neutral trading. And I'm not saying Nick Kyrgios was pushing. I'm not saying he was dropping the ball short and saying, hey, Umber, like, here's a midcourt forehand. Let's see what you do with this. No, that's not what it is. it is. It's not it's not putting the ball in the middle of the court but but it's it's safe trading keeping the ball deep putting some air under the ball and taking some pace off and umber makes some unforced errors at that seven at the the seven all game but i thought it was a, a really great change up by nick so overall look i'm impressed just by the result i'm impressed by that change up of tactics obviously he has the serve and uh, Kyrios hit some some really clutch Some really clutch balls as well, a backhand down the line at at 1530 and a huge spot there that was was key. Uh, But ultimately, here's what's going to hold back Nick Kyrgios for the tournament. Uh, And here's what always holds him back is the durability. It's not the mental. It's not the focus. It's not the fact that he can't win five-set matches. You guys, he's got a very great—he's got a great record in five-set matches. It's just the durability. He tends to break down. That's why he's not going deep at majors. It's been a couple of years now since he's made a quarterfinal at a slam. I think it was since 2016. Nick Kyrgios hasn't made a quarterfinal. It's a long time. His results aren't great at the Grand Slams because generally a couple matches in, he'll start to carry an injury. He will. You know, the things Nick Kyrgios does... And we can have a conversation a little bit about talent here. The things Nick Kyrgios does are things that 95% of the tour actually just can't do. Many of those things that Kyrgios does. The way he serves. 95% of the tour can't serve like Nick Kyrgios. His forehand, say 90th percentile. One of the better ones in the game. Uh, His hands, up there. His... Cat-and-mouse skills, the ability to kind of craft points and use kind of uh, jarring variety, I would say, up there. Just his timing, his ball striking, up there. Not a lot of the tour can do that. Here's the problem with Nick Kyrgios. There are things he doesn't do or he can't do. 95% of the tour can do these things. 95% of the tour has good enough durability to hit the second week of a grand slam without breaking down physically. These are things that most of the, you know, tons of players on the tour can handle this. Players who are outside the top 50 have good enough durability and good enough conditioning to go to the second week without their physicality or their durability becoming an issue, but Nick Kyrgios can't. And yeah, you know, part of it I will give him a pass, he hasn't been playing now but It's his own fault. That's not, you know, that's just not putting in what you want to put in if you want to build your body up. And Nick Kyrios hasn't put that in. But he said after the match, he said, I was really feeling it after the first round match. That's what he said. He said he was really, uh, excuse me, the first day. He was really feeling it physically. So how's he going to hold up? And once he starts hurting, he gets a little bit ornery. He gets frustrated. He loses focus. So do I see Nick Kyrgios as a threat? to go really really deep in this tournament it's the same answer I always give not really because of the durability that's it you know it's just not up to par um, let me try to find you guys exactly who he's playing in the next round because I'm not don't have it off the top of my head uh, Nick curios plays Jean luc uh mager sorry I used to think it was Maguerre. it's not um, Jean luc mager. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good draw. Then it could be FAA winner of Mikhail Emer and FAA in the third round. So Kiros is in a good section, a section of opportunity as, um, you know, let's see if he gets to the Zverev match is, is really the question. Can he get to the Zverev match? Alexander should be pretty happy because you go beat him in Halle. So, uh, I'm, I'm sure he, that's a welcome result, but who knows, you know, you, you never know, uh. What's going to be good for these guys? What's going to be bad for these guys? You can't really draw cast like that. All right, how we looking, everyone? Good, good. All right, um, let's talk about Novak Djokovic real quick. Uh, Djokovic through Kevin Anderson rematch of the 2018 final. I'll tell you what, Anderson looked Anderson looked decent in this match thought Anderson played about as well as you could expect in, in his current state. Now, Kevin came in really struggling to win matches. And again, I think he played pretty close to what he can do. But still, a, a straight-set victory by Novak Djokovic that bordered on perfection. It really did. And and Novak didn't need his A-plus game in this match, but he, he brought it. He brought it and it was really incredibly clean off the ground the the stats are absurd so um you know definitely kind of worth hashing out it were the uh the stats to this match 146 points played in this match and novak Djokovic officially did not make a forehand unforced error now i think the scores of the match towards the end there noticed that and gave him the benefit of the doubt on a couple of forehands, maybe two forehands and one on match point that you could have scored an unforced error and they didn't. But still, uh, unbelievably clean. Through the first, you know, two and a half sets of the mat in the match, he really didn't make any routine regulation forehand errors. And then backhand, four. So six unforced errors total for the match, but two are double faults, which really shouldn't be counted as unforced errors. But here we are. So really, uh, four ground stroke unforced errors against Kevin Anderson in the entire match. It just doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much cleaner than that. Um, And it was just nearly a a flawless performance uh, for Novak. Yeah. There's not that much more to say on on Djokovic's uh, performance here. But uh, he moves on, and he'll face Denis Kudla. Kudla he faced in 2019. He's a grass court specialist. Djokovic had no issue with that match in 2019. It was a straight-set victory um, for Novak. Just so you know, um, after I get through all the topics, I will uh, try to get to some... um, Some comments, but also if you do use super chat, I will uh, I will make sure to answer. Let's go to uh, John Isner. John Isner is taken out here, Um, a loss to Yoshi Nishioka, and again it kind of comes back to look. First of all, Nishioka had never won a match on grass at tour level; it's his first one, and it. Continues a streak for, for John Isner where he's not really good at this tournament. He doesn't like these conditions. His win percentage is better at Roland Garros. It's better. Uh, he recently lost to Dudy Sela in 2017. He lost to Mikhail Kukushkin in 2019. And now he loses to Nishioka in the first round. Now, sandwiched between those results was a run to the semifinal. And because of that run to the semifinal... He's just thrown out, you know, very frequently as one of the names that is a a threatening name at this tournament. But it just doesn't really reflect reality. Sam Query is probably better at Wimbledon. Or I'll just say, I think he is better at Wimbledon than John Isner. So that's one result here. Um, I want to shout out Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz, with his first victory... At Wimbledon takes out Yoshi Ushiyama 6-3, 6 3-6, 6-3. So a five setter. He has a, uh, he has Daniil Medvedev next. And by the way, I know I just moved on from John Isner, but I do think Matteo Berrettini should be happy about that result. Matteo Berrettini um, was projected to face Isner in the third round. And again, as much as you know my thoughts on Isner, I think he's overrated at Wimbledon. Still... I think that match would have gone to some tie breaks and by virtue of that, it would have been a more dangerous match for Berrettini than Yoshi, um, than, uh, Nishioka. So I do think Berrettini should be happy. I do think that is a bullet dodged. Of course you have Berrettini, um, you have Zverev in that quarter. Now you have Kyrgios in that quarter, just took out Umber and you have FAA in that quarter. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of the deal there. Carlos Alcaraz gets through though. I want to make a point about Alcaraz. I'm just I'm looking at his forehand. I'm looking at the way he moves forward. This man is not a clay court specialist, or he will not be. And right now, it's certainly his comfortable surface. It's the surface he grew up on. Um, he's still getting used to kind of the the pro level when he's facing bigger servers, and his serve is really not up to snuff yet. Um, at this point in, in his career, so obviously there are some challenges there for Carlos Alcaraz uh, But I'm just I'm looking at the way he plays and I just want to stress that this man plays Closer to Roger Federer than he does Rafa Nadal and that's the point I I really want to make um, His forehand has big power. He gets it off really quickly. He takes it very early he hits very aggressive, close to the line. Um, heavy topspin, but not too much shape. He doesn't have the clay court shape, really. He actually has kind of a, a good line drive-like shape to his forehand, which is really great for fast courts. It's a lethal stroke, all in all. It really is. Um, and he's comfortable moving forward. He's comfortable going to the net. He has a flat backhand, a very flat backhand which works well on the grass. So, don't give me the oh he's Spanish, he uses a yellow Babolat, he wears Nike, so he must be a, you know, really quick defensive player like 18-year-old Rafa Nadal was. That's not Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz is closer to Roger Federer, and I expect him to have a really good career on the quicker surfaces, and I expect him to be a factor at Wimbledon for years to come. Uh, we have a super chat uh, super chat from Tibor. Thank you, Tibor. I appreciate it. Gil, do you see uh, Murray recovering well enough to be in top shape against Chapeau? Love the live show. Cheers, Tibor. Appreciate that, um, and, and thank you, and you should uh, check out Tibor's channel, Tennis Time. I know he does some of his own content. Uh, tough to say. You know, I don't think that... I don't think that he does recover great. Um, I I hope I'm wrong. That's kind of been the pattern with Murray that it's been, that it's been difficult for him to do so. But, you know, he hasn't played a lot of matches. Uh, so I don't think, you know, throw aside the hip, throw aside the history. You know, I think anyone coming in with the lack of matches that Murray has, he, he played twice at Queens club, but it had been really long until then. So then, so I think he's played two matches, um, since, like, maybe March. I think he's played two matches since March. So, just that 0-100, to 100, it's going to be pretty tough. And again, the way Murray is playing, things are very physical for him out there. He is not shortening points. He is not playing any differently from the way he played when he was young. The only difference is that he's not quite as explosive in his movement. He's not returning quite as well. But he's not going for more on his forehand. He's not returning more aggressively. He's not serving more aggressively. So the, the brand of tennis is still very physical. And I thought, um, I think this Ota match could take it out of him. And Shapovalov is someone who's going to deliver a lot of body blows. I think he's going to dictate in this match, uh, in that, in that matchup. And I think Murray's going to be doing a lot of scrambling. And I do think it could take its toll that, 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 that's what I'll, uh, say about, um, that matchup. Um, let's talk about Taylor Fritz. Taylor Fritz back from knee surgery got carted off in a wheelchair at Roland Garros. Carted off in a wheelchair. What his surgeon should do is come out with an advertisement on television. That's what he should do. And he should get some dramatic music playing and it should be slow motion Fritz getting carted off in a wheelchair. And then it should like fade to black and it should say like, but all hope wasn't lost because doctor M was coming to the rescue. And then the music should build and it should be Taylor Fritz celebrating at Wimbledon with a round one victory over young blood, good grass court player, uh, Brandon Nakashima. Fritz looked good. He's a good ball striker, but he was moving well. He was playing well. And again, you know, Fritz is a dude. He bombs his serve, um, and he hits nice and big from both wings, pretty flat, penetrating strokes, and quite consistent. And the weakness for Fritz is the movement. Man doesn't move well. Man doesn't cover the court well. Well, that's the kind of great thing about Fritz at Wimbledon. Who moves well? Nobody moves well. It's Wimbledon. Nobody can keep their footing, right? And I'm exaggerating right now to make a point because some players do move quite well, and some players are able to defend and cover the court. But if you can catch my drift here, it is a uh, an equalizer. Wimbledon is an equalizer for a player like Taylor Fritz who struggles with his movement, but is good elsewhere, because nobody's really moving great. So it's about how well are you striking the ball? How well are you uh, are you taking initiative and and dictating in these in these rallies? So in that respect, I think uh, Taylor Fritz is well positioned here. Um, and let's see what, what what he can do in this section. Again, I think Zverev, I, you know, trying to beat Zverev is going to be a stretch for him. He's got Stevie Johnson next. Stevie Johnson is good on the grass because his slice backhand works really well, stays low, so he defends that side, and then he can use his big forehand. But his serve isn't great, so it, it kind of caps what Stevie can do. On the grass, but I think shout out to Taylor Fritz. Uh, let's talk about another American, which is Sebastian Corda. One of the blockbuster matches of the first round was Sebastian Corda against Alex Dimanor. Um, that was one of the that was one of the highest level, if not the highest level, match of round number one. Corda comes through that one, and then he backs up that first round victory with uh, another one, a more straightforward one today. And I think um, it was over Antoine Huang. Uh, straight set, 7-5, 6-4, 6-4. And Corda's definitely a guy worth talking about uh, because he's rising very quickly, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I also I want to talk about his section. I want to get to that. But at the end of this match, when I'm through all of the comments and I'm through uh, my topics... Um, which I only have one more left. Um, then I want to go just quarter by quarter and and do do a little rundown there. Uh, Sebastian Corda, what do I love about Sebastian Corda? It's really hard to poke holes in his game. You gotta nitpick. You really have to nitpick to poke holes in Sebastian Corda's game. And for a 20 year old, that is a great, great sign. So if you ask me, you know, what are Sebastian Corda's weaknesses? I have some answers for you. I can try to give you some answers. His movement, sub-elite. It's good for his size, but good for his size. Okay, it's sub-elite. Okay, that's one. His serve could be bigger. It's not not, uh, an overwhelming weapon. And he's going to face some players and the best returners. They're going to be able... To get his serve back. So his serve could be better. His forehand. Not a lot of safety in it. When he lands it, it's a big forehand. It's a good weapon. But his forehand doesn't have great safety. So sometimes it can go off the rails. And against Demonor, there were times in the match where it really hurt him. And it really went off. And uh, there were a lot of errors there. So the forehand lacks safety a little bit. That's another um, I think I had a fourth, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to dig that up. It's escaping me. All of those weaknesses, total nitpicks. I mean, absolute nitpicks. He has such a complete game. His coaches, including his, you know, his father, Peter Corda and Andre Agassi is working with him. He has had such tremendous coaching because the the game is so complete and so technically sound and so void of major weaknesses, I I love Sevi Korda. and uh, what he's showing here is surface versatility. He's been a factor at the French. He's won a couple of matches um, in back-to-back years now, right? Unless, what did he do at the at the French uh, this year? Did he did he get a tough draw? No, 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 he lost first round, right. He won in Parma. He won the Parma title, and then he lost first round to uh, Pedro Martinez, who I really like, by the way. That's another young guy who, uh, who I think everyone should be uh, keeping uh, one eye open with. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that was tough. But anyway, v- surface versatility. He made the fourth round of Roland Garros last year, and now he's kind of on his way at Wimbledon with a huge chance here, a huge chance in his quarter to make the semifinal. Again, more on that later. It's a chance. It's a chance. Lastly, I want to talk about what I thought was the best the the best match of the day, which is Arena uh, Sabalenka and um, and Katie Bolter. And guys, um, when it comes to women's tennis, I am going to start covering it more and more. And I don't want to get into why right now, but uh, there were reasons why. Uh, why I, I didn't cover it as much in the past and I'm not going to just jump zero to 100 and I'm not quite as confident on it right now and I don't uh, have the, the depth of knowledge that I do with the ATP tour right now but I did think the Sabalenka bolter match um, was tremendous and and I think the Sabalenka story is fascinating. She's number two in the world, and she's never been past the fourth round of a major. And here she was in trouble again in a great match against Katie Bolter, who's ranked uh, well outside the top 150, but was playing way, way better than that. And uh, ultimately, Sabalenka has to, has to thank her first serve. Uh, the serve completely saved her uh, when you know Bolter was landing her returns, uh, she was winning most of the points. 4-3 in the third set was an epic game. The best match I've seen of the tournament so far. And most of the time when Bolter made the return, she ended up winning the point. But Sabalenka got so many service winners. Um, saved break point with one on on add-out. Converted game point with one on add-in. Hit an ace on another break point hit another service winner on break point. I'm just going through me, you know, charting the match and and just seeing how many big points the serve bailed her out. But ultimately, you know, I do think that she is going to have trouble here for a long time unless she learns how to um, reel it in a little bit, reel it in in the, in the big pressure moments. I just don't think uh, her game, is conducive to playing when her nerves are are at at 100 because she's she's going for a ton and when that confidence just kind of when that confidence is less than 100%, it is so difficult to take the confident cuts that she is looking to take and execute them and I really think it's going to be difficult for her to to shake this this issue at the majors, uh, at least on a consistent basis, if she doesn't find a way to play a little bit more consistently off the ground. Now, I still think she needs to play aggressive. She needs to go after it. Uh, she needs to play her style. But it it's just gonna be it's just gonna be difficult to her because she she is missing too much. She is making, um, in big moments, she's just too erratic. And she could have it or she could not. And it seems like a 50-50 proposition. And, you know, the, the great players, what they're doing so well is they're coming through at a really high rate against players who, who they are better than. And, you know, again, the name of the game is consistency. Anyone, and Sabalenka can play better than anyone for a stretch of 15, 20, 30 minutes. Better than anyone. But what she needs to figure out is how can I go full matches? How can I go a full three sets without ever dipping below a top 20 level? That's what she needs to figure out how to do. Or she's always going to have these problems. uh, Because she's putting herself in in tight scenarios over and over again. All right. Um, What I want to do is I want to go through each quarter of the draw and quickly just revisit it. And then I'm going to wrap up here after I take your comments. So let's start with Djokovic's quarter. Uh, this is the top quarter, and Rublev is still alive after a uh, first-round drop in the first set to Frederico Delbonis. That's the most important thing, that Rublev steadied the ship. Also beat uh, LiAngelo Harris in the second round here, so Rublev into the third round. Uh, but as, predict- as predicted, ADF lost to Kudla. Uh, Gardin has not looked great. Monfis won in five sets against Christopher O'Connell. Schwartzman looking decent, dropped a set to uh, to Brody. It's still looking like Djokovic might not get a good test until Rublev in the quarterfinals. So not much has changed in the uh, in Djokovic's quarter. Not much chaos there. Pretty much everything going as expected. And let's just monitor what, what Rublev does here. I think it'll be a massive disappointment for the Russian if he doesn't make this quarterfinal. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a slight alarm bell here as Rublev dropped the first set. And then the second set against Delbonis, who isn't good on grass, got tight. And it was like, holy moly, you know, Rublev, like, you okay? Like, you you going to do this? or, Yeah, that... I would have been worried there if I were Andre Rublev because that would have been really bad. All right, my favorite quarter. God, I'm I'm in love with this quarter so much. Um, I I just love it. Stefano Citti quarter, which does no which no longer includes Stefano Citti after uh, Francis Tiafo knocked him out. Here's the quarter, and I'll just say right now, if Roberta Bautista Agut does not make the semifinal, I believe we are going to get a first-time major semifinalist. That is true. Oh, unless Andy. I mean, Murray's in the quarter as well. Uh, But if it's not Murray or RBA, we will get a first-timer. Yet, at the same time, it feels like there are a lot of, at least on a grass court, there are a lot of guys who uh, would be deserving um, first-time semifinalists. RBA is still facing Kechmanovic up a break in the fourth set so uh, he still needs to get through that uh, for a chance to face Dominic Ke- uh, Kepfer who's also looking really good uh, the depth in this quarter is unbelievable so I'm going to go top to bottom uh, your first third round match is Tiafo against Hachinov where I really favor Francis it's a rematch of a couple of years back Francis was up two sets to love I've talked about this match he got a stomach bug Tia- uh Francis got a stomach bug and then completely ran out of gas and lost the next two sets, 6-1, 6-1, lost from up two sets to love. I think Francis can really do a great job of rushing Hachinov hatch, on the forehand side. uh is more dynamic, gets to net more, finishes better, has a better serve. Uh, it's the battle of the weird unconventional forehand. So I was joking on Twitter that... Uh, It's a good opportunity to show someone tennis for the first time, show someone tennis who's never watched tennis, and then just tell them this is what forehands usually look like. And and then they'll have a completely wrong idea of what forehands usually look like. Uh, The next third round match is Dan Evans against Sebastian Corder. Dan Evans broke a streak of three first round exits in a row with a uh, really uh, business-like first two rounds looking good against Dusan Lajovic and Feliciano Lopez. There have been times where Dan Evans has looked like a top 10 player on a fast on the fastest courts in the world. When he is really firing, he's hitting his spots on his first serve, making a high percentage, getting to net, um taking taking the ball early on his second serve return and hitting lethal forehands. Dan Evans can be a problem but but Seb Corta, as I mentioned had an awful draw in the first round, gets through Alex Demonor and is just looking so solid. Uh, That is a blockbuster. That is a huge third round match that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I don't even really feel like making a prediction. You can't make me. I don't want to. I'm not really sure. Um, So I won't. Dennis Shapovalov, after going five sets against Philip Kohlschreiber in the first round, gets a much-needed walkover against Pablo Andujar, who played an absolute... um, Marathon with Pierre uh, Ugerber, um and then couldn't go against Shapovalov. Shapovalov gets the rest. Um, he will play the the winner of Murray. At, no, no. Sorry. He will play Murray <laughs> in, uh, in the third round. And I've already talked about that match at the start of this uh, live stream, but it'll be interesting to see what Murray can do. I think Shapovalov's the better player at the moment. Um, and then Lastly, it'll be Dennis Kepfer versus uh RBA or Miomir Kachmanovich looking like RBA. Uh, but anyway, here's the here's the conclusion about this quarter. Tiafo, Evans, Korda, I don't think Kachinov, but maybe Shapovalov. Tiafo, Evans, Korda, Shapovalov. Uh, Shapovalov, RBA. One of them will likely make the semifinal, if you're asking me. And if it's not RBA, it's going to be a, a fresh face. It's going to be interesting. By the way, Tiafo doing something very interesting on his forehand return. So fascinating. He's using like an eastern grip and or close to a continental grip and not blocking it back, just hitting through with not really his forehand grip, uh, short take back, hitting through the ball, but uh, playing a grip as if he's going to block it. And that is such a good way to remedy his big long take back on the the forehand, which is a big problem on, on the return. No way he can hit a forehand return like that. So uh, it's been really fun to watch. And Tiafo, his hands are so good, uh, so good at the net, um, so good taking the ball early off of, uh, especially his backhand. Just a really strong grass court player. I think Huge opportunity for him to make to make the semifinal. Same with Dan Evans, who's never been that far, and the youngster, Sebi Korda, Shapovalov as well. I'm really looking forward to how this quarter plays out. All right, uh, Berrettini and Zverev, uh, their quarter, it's, it's Zverev's quarter. Um, I still think Zverev has a tremendous path, a really good path, nothing notable for him. Uh, beat uh, poor quite easily. And now he faces Tennis Sandgren, who shouldn't be a problem for him on grass. Fritz, Stevie Johnson. Uh, it's a good draw for him. The question is really about FAA, and can he set up a clash with Zverev? And, you know, w- will we see that matchup, of course, um, is the question. Good for Joe Sangha, by the way. Um, oh, excuse me. Not good for Joe Willisanga. Um, Emer, Emer beat him. ha <laughs> Uh, Kei still in, in this half, but it's looking, again, with the upset of Isner and the upset of Aslan Karatsev, who Jeremy Chardy defeated. Two back-to-back, massively disappointing results at majors for Aslan Karatsev. So, big winner, Berrettini here, who will not have to face Isner, will not have to face Karatsev. Um, and now we'll see about... You uh, about Nick Kyrgios and I don't know, like, you know, maybe look, you go on and Nick Kyrgios at their best level, pretty close as we've seen back to back five setters when these two have played, but Kyrgios won both. So maybe Kyrgios is better, but if Kyrgios is going to break down at some point in the next couple matches, well then, yeah, it's another, it's a good thing for the seeds that, that, um, that Umber, or excuse me, that Kyrgios won that match and not on bear. It's a good, that's good news for Zverev and, and FAA and those guys. But yeah, the draw really opened up for Berrettini, didn't it? So that's what's going on in that quarter. And then lastly in Medvedev's quarter, uh, it's been, it's been chalky, right? All of the seeds are through except Sam query beat PCB, which is an, an upset that I called. And I think a lot of people called it that, you know, that, that was almost a predictable one. But other than that, there has been no chaos whatsoever. So, uh, Chilich and Medvedev could set up a third-round clash if uh, Chilich beats Bonzi and Medvedev beats Alcaraz. Uh, Hercoc did defeat uh, Lorenzo Massetti quite easily, and now he faces Marcos Girone. Bublik beat Kukushkin. He faces Dimitrov. Uh, Sinego is through. Uh, Again, I think that's someone to watch. So um, um, he's in a mini-section with uh, Query. So Sinego and Query. Uh, Fetter and Cam Nori. Feder plays Gaz K. Obviously, Roger needs to play better than he did against Manorino. Or uh I don't know. He could still probably beat Gaz K with that level, but he he certainly, I don't think he'd beat Cam Nori. Nori plays Alex Bolt. Nori a big favorite in that one. Um Although I saw the odds. He's not that big a favorite, strangely, but I would think he'd be a big favorite. And let's see if we get Nori Federer. So that's the rundown, folks. Um Again, I'm Titi Pass quarter. It's just, just fascinating. It's gonna be so fun. So many third round, so many great third round matches in that quarter. Um, so really looking forward to that. Karatsev did not win to whoever's asking that. Karatsev lost. Uh again, I mean, that's that's pretty bad. He loses to Cole Schreiber at Roland Garros, so then he loses to Jeremy Chardy at uh at Wimbledon. It's not great. It's not great. He uh you know, maybe he'd do better against someone under the age of 35. I don't know. Is, is that the problem? It's not good against the uh, the oldies? Maybe. Um, all right, folks, I am going to wrap up really soon. If you have questions, uh, throw them in there now. Throw them in there now, and I'll give you guys about a minute um, to to do that, and then we will wrap this up. I don't think I have any coffee in my mug. How far can Nishikori go? This one from uh, Zachary uh, Shahan. Uh, How far can Tiafoe go? I think Tiafoe can make the semifinal. I think he can. Felix, I think Zverev's a pretty bad matchup for Felix. Um, You know, Zverev is tremendous. If you have a serve and a forehand, and you rely heavily on that serve and the forehand, we saw in Madrid when Zverev went through Berrettini, Went through Nadal and went through, uh, who else? Team, I believe, team in Madrid. We saw how Zverev's return and counter striking can neutralize a player who relies on dominating with the serve forehand combination, and that is FAA. So, that along with the return of serve, which is which is not it's aggressive. But it's also not at the elite level for Felix. I think that Felix Verev, I think that's a bad matchup for Felix, in my opinion. Um so, so we'll have to see. It. And then the first one, the first question was yeah, I think Tiafo can make the semi. It's you know, he he's there. Possibly. Attitude adjustment for Tiafo, playing really well under Wayne Ferreira. Um Nishikori, he's always capped by his serve. You know, he'll never. Let me just take a look at his draw real quick, um, so I can tell you exactly how far. I but but again, it, it really hurts at Wimbledon to uh, to not have that big serve. Where is he, Nishikori? The uh, the control F function does not work on the draw. It's, it's very frustrating. Sorry, guys. Pulling up the draw here. Nishikori. Okay. You know what? I half give up. Oh, found him. All right. Jordan Thompson. Good grass court player but doesn't have that overpowering quality to him, which is good for Nishikori. He's not going to get out-served in that one, so it can be a baseline duel, and it can be a match that takes on the kind of uh, aesthetic, or, uh, yeah, I'd say the, the aesthetic of uh, a match on a hardcourt or a clay court. Uh, but then Jeremy Shardy, Ilya Avashka, I like Avashka to win. I think Avashka's my dark horse, and that's my pick to make the fourth round. So I'm going to go with Avashka, over over Nishkori. But obviously, your question was how far could he go? And of course, he can beat Ilya Vashka. So I think he can get to Berrettini. uh, But I don't think he can beat Berrettini. Um, What's your prediction on the next upset? Sorry, man. That's kind of too... uh, a little bit, a little bit vague. I, I, I don't, I, I, don't know what to choose there. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of matches that I think could be upsets in, in round three, um, and it would take me too long to go through the, uh, the order of play. Um, how confident are you that, that Feder Medvedev quarterfinal clash will happen? That one from Camille, uh, or Camille? Thank you for that question. federer has got to step it up. You know, he needs to, he needs to play a lot better than he did against Manorino. He still needs to serve better. Uh, he still needs to hit his forehand better. He needs to be more level and more consistent. I thought he moved well enough, but I, you know, look, I'm gonna still say it happens, but something needs to change. Like the the Fetter will need to need to have a re- a level raise. Uh, obviously, the good thing is he, is he's facing K. and k is normally not dangerous to to the top guns. Federer knows his game very, very well. Uh, I do think the backhand slice will be effective and the drop shots will be effective. Um, and it's not someone who can really attack Federer's return deficiencies uh, right now. So it's on Federer's racket. And then he faces Cam Nori. That's the match where he's going to need to be better. He's going to need to level raise. But again, it's that that match is also on Roger Federer's uh, racket. And that's why I picked him to go to the semifinal when I saw the draw because I do think that there, uh, that, that his draw is so positive. Uh, how far is Yannick Sinner away from a decent run in Wimbledon? Also, can you see him winning a slam? His serve needs to be better. Simple as that. It's got to be better. No one can be a threat at Wimbledon without a serve that is going to do damage. Plain and simple. I think Murray can take out Chapeau. Chapeau is pretty inconsistent at times. He can. He can. It's definitely not. Like, it's definitely not a no-brainer for Chapeau. Uh, can Nick do some major damage? I think he can do some damage until he breaks down. And I, I give him, you know, I don't know if it'll be it, it could be next match. It could be the match after. It could be the match after that. But, you know, I think by let's say uh, you know, either either by the fourth round Or let's say he makes a quarterfinal. I think by the time, let's say hypothetically, Nick Kyrgios makes the quarterfinal. Just as a hypothetical. By the time he makes the quarterfinal, he's the walking dead. He's the walking dead. He's banged up. He's hurting. He is uh, not in good enough physical condition to play that quarterfinal match to the best of his ability. Who could give Novak more problems, Rublev or Medvedev? I think Medvedev at his best gives Novak more problems than anyone else in the draw. Um, Hercoc is a dark horse. Good call. I don't mind that. Obviously, came comes in with horrible form, but if he can gain some confidence and turn that around, I don't mind that call. Um But, yeah, I mean, Musetti isn't ready on grass at all. Uh, What do you think about Hubie? I remember you picked him as a dark horse before. Game should be good for grass. Again, after winning Miami, I think he he lost eight straight matches. So, um, you know, he needs to be more consistent. He needs to move forward more. Uh, His aggression is not always there. His forehand needs to be better. And I just think he's a little bit uh, passive for the most part. But on grass, I will say this. His backhand is good for grass. Very flat shot. Can rip through the court. Good at changing direction. Stays very low, of course, which plays into the fact that it's flat. Uh, ultimately, he he moves well. He covers the court. He's got a great open stance backhand. It's one of his best shots, so he defends his backhand well. Overall, his defense is good. His serve is average. He's a very solid all-around player, but but we- from a weapons perspective, he leaves a little bit to be desired. The reason he doesn't do well on clay is because he doesn't generate and create the offense very, very well. Um, all right. I am going to wrap it up here. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, it will be up on all podcast platforms. Make sure if you're not following me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. The handle is at Gil underscore gross. And also if you're a podcast listener, uh, follow me on Spotify. Um, subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast. The link I do believe is in the description of, of, of this video of all my videos. So if you can do that, that is a big help. Um, I will be back tomorrow, not with a live, but with, post-match analysis. And um, for Monday, I'll do an interview. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff around the corner. Again, thank you so much for joining me, everyone who did so live. I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. And I will see you next time.